This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. All right, Chris, well, thank you for joining us on another episode of DTC Pod. Um, we've got Chris, founder of CrossNet, which is uh, Foursquare meets volleyball. Is that right? It is right. Then we have Blaine Bolus, guest host with us today. He's the founder of um, OmniPanel. So Blaine, I'll let you step in, talk about yourself, and then pass it over to Chris. Thanks, Ramon, for having me. Pumped to uh, be hosting D2C Pod with you. Basically, what we do at OmniPanel is we're a workspace for all your e-commerce data. We connect all your systems that don't talk to each other, like your Shopify, your help desk, order system, return system, reviews all into one place. So your operational teams have everything they need to operate their businesses. Awesome. Sweet. Chris, what is Foursquare meets volleyball? I heard you're inventing a sport pretty much. Yeah, so I invented CrossNet back in 2017. So it's the world's first four square volleyball game. <laughs> Literally two volleyball nets that intersect, put it up in five minutes at the beach, the grass, indoor, outdoor, wherever you want, or now the pool. So we're basically full circle. We're right where you started in Miami Beach. Um, so I remember when we first sat down, I was fascinated by your story of you know how you guys got out there and just presented the product every single day and just to, to beach ongoing walk buyers and until people ask enough. So can you share more about the story, the journey of exactly how the idea came about for CrossNet? Yeah. So one night we were literally like broke kids in a farm town in Connecticut. Uh, I was working in New York City and uh, I was hired as Uber's first sales executive. So I was launching Uber Eats in Rhode Island in Boston cold calling restaurants all day long. So like, just so tiring, right? Like get up at seven in the morning, commute to Chelsea, call and beg people to like go on Uber Eats for literally like, all day long, nine hours a day. It was just miserable, right? And then like everybody's like, all right, I gotta do this again, do this again. So it's like, our, it was always like, hey, if a good idea came up, let's jump on it because I can't be doing cold calls until I'm 65 years old. So uh, one night we're back home and uh, it was a spring break or something in Connecticut. And we're writing down ideas all night long. Just like, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And one of our friends had just graduated from Northeastern. So he hit my brother up. He's like, yo, I'm gonna come over, brainstorm. Like, I can't get a real job now. Like, I'm 21 years old. Like, I don't wanna be behind a desk and be a corporate drone. So he just wrote and wrote and wrote. And all the ideas were so goddamn terrible. <laughs> they were awful. And all night long. What was one of the flows? Like a wall charger that turned into a speaker, like different types of koozies, like just all different terrible ideas, right? So eventually, as the night went on, like ESPN was on in the background. Not sure if that motivated it or not, but like Mike wrote down four way meets volleyball. Mike's one of our other co founders. Uh, grew up playing soccer and basketball with him. And four way volleyball net. And we're like, yeah, no shit. Like that'd be sick, right? Uh, jumped on Google. And nobody had done it before. And right now it's like four in the morning. You're in your home, like your farm town. It's about to leave and we Google it and nobody does it. And we're like, this is it. Like, that's the game. So we went to bed and then the next morning he woke up. We like, we woke up, went to Walmart, got two badminton nets, cut out the center, like staked them on the side of my mom's garden and shed, texted all the boys like, yo, come over. And we just started making a game like in the backyard, right? Like, like you do when you're 12 years old, like, or... So the floor is lava, right? You remember that when you were a kid? Like, just stupid, innovative stuff. And that was the proof of concept. Yeah. And that was back in 2017, and that was the, the start to cross that. That's amazing. 
Yeah, Chris, that's super cool. And, um, you know, one thing that jumps out at me, it's like a lot of people when they start their businesses, sometimes it starts from a spark of imagination and you know exactly what you want to do. And others, you know, there's a lot of discovery of, you know, figuring out what product market fit looks like, et cetera, for that. So I think one thing that jumps out that's very cool is the fact that you guys kind of had the idea and you're like, oh, this is it. Let's do it. And now you see, looking back, it's actually worked, which is I mean, product market fit wasn't even, that wasn't even a term, right? Like that didn't exist to me. It was, you know, you're miserable as hell. I just invented this cool thing in my backyard. How do I make it real? Cool. There was no VC money, no investing. There's no, okay, let's lay out the next 12 months. It was, let's go make this shit tomorrow. Like, how do we make this happen? And so what what was that first product that you actually got paid for, right? Because most people, well, let's just do drop shipping. Let's just validate the concept this way with something that exists. Mm -hmm. But like, it's not very non-traditional to go in a way with something that doesn't exist. So like, what was the first product? So the first product before that was uh, back in college. My college roommate and my brother and I, we invented this thing called the King, which is a non-tobacco hookah. So literally at the hookah lounge, you could either put tobacco or non-tobacco shisha into your product. So my boy grew up in the, the Caribbeans. So his dad owns a sugarcane plant. And we went over there one summer, chopped down all the sugarcane, imported it back here. And literally in my mom's basement, we just had barrels of sugarcane. And we'd be mixing them. My mom would be mixing them with flavor. We'd bag them up ourselves, and then we'd sell them to like hookah lounges. That was cool for a bit. And then we realized nobody really wanted to go to a hookah lounge and smoke non-tobacco hookah. Yeah. So, but that was our first like e-commerce venture. We'd sell it online. We'd sell it at the retail, meaning like a, a smoke shop or a mom and pop shop. And then we pivoted and uh, actually left the company to focus full time on my career because I was I graduated uh, with a film degree, hundred thousand dollars in debt. And uh, I was making like 40 grand a year, right? Like I couldn't, it wasn't sustainable. So I couldn't go home and like focus on e-commerce. So I left and my brother invented the Glunt, which is uh, the glass blunt, which is like this famous world star, like probably the most famous uh, glass blunt, like that went on for like millions of dollars in sales, like really, really successful. And I gave up on the king and I could have got involved in that. So like when I started crossing, I was like, I'm not giving up. I don't care how long this is going to take. It's going to work. Just stay patient. So yeah, that was the e-commerce history and kind of to like set us up for good success because I knew I did not want to drop ship this thing. I wanted to like form a brand. Got it. Got it. So that first business that you started with the non-tobacco tobacco, tobacco yeah. like how old are you? This is after you said you finished school? Yeah, I'm, I'm 20. And Around 20. Yeah, 20 to like 22 for like two years. Cool, cool. And so you start that one, it's, you know, it works, but you're like, this isn't quite it. And then I know you mentioned Uber. So what's, walk me through your path going from, you know, doing this business, that's call it mildly successful. You have your first taste with e-commerce, first taste with entrepreneurship, doing things for yourself. Then what happens after that? Yeah, if mildly successful is not paying yourself, then yeah, super, <laughs> super successful. So uh, by day I was selling commercials um, at rate, like, it's a place called Icon International. Mm-hmm. Worst job in the history of the company. <laughs> uh, literally getting an email like, yo, tuck your shirt in. It's partially untucked. Mm-hmm. Yo, you're in elevator at 501, which means you left your desk at 459. Like mm-hmm. that type of like corporate job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was making 42 grand, buying and selling commercial slots. Mm-hmm. And previously I was at HBO working on the set as a PA. Mm-hmm. So my whole life I was like, yo, I want to be a horror movie director. I want to be a director. I want to get out of this farm town and become a famous movie director. Right? Sure. Got on the set, I was making 11 bucks an hour. Can't do that when you owe 1200 bucks in loans every month and live in Manhattan. Uh, so 
Yeah, selling commercials. Went to software sales. Mm-hmm. Had a job called Contently. Mm-hmm. Cool, like, SaaS platform. Got laid off there. Mm-hmm. So, shitty times. And then, uh, desperate for a job, I put an application to Uber online on LinkedIn. And they randomly was like, yo, like, come in for an interview. I'm like, Uber is, like, interested in me. And so, where, where are we in, like, Uber's history here? This was, like, right after Travis left. Okay, got it. So they're, they're pretty far along. You, you've done now, you've done commercial sales, you've done software sales, and now you just throw in an application. Uber's already a big company by now. Everyone knows what Uber is, but you're like, let me go apply to them on LinkedIn, and then you, they hit you back. They hit me back, and uh, have a great connection with this guy, like the, the hiring manager. Sure. Brings me in, he's like, yo, I want to make you our first ever sales executive of the entire Uber Eats. I was like, shit, that sounds pretty good to me, right? Like, I'm 24 at the time, so I was making 120 grand, give or take. Like, good money for me. I was happy paying my bills. But at the time, I was going through a breakup, too. So I was, like, kind of not happy, calling cold call, like, cold calling nine hours a day, not happy there. I'm in New York by myself, and, like, all my good friends are back in Connecticut. So, like, it's just kind of the perfect storm of, like, Financially, we're doing okay, mm-hmm. but like mentally, I'm not doing great. Sure. Uh, so we had this idea one night when you're back. You know how good it feels like when you're kicking it with your boys and like you're finally all back together. It's such a good feeling. And had the idea. We're like, why not? And I distinctly remember it's June of 2017. We're all in my friend's hot tub. Mm-hmm. And we're all just like going around, like pretending like how sad we were, like late life. Like one kid got broken up with, one kid got fired. We're like, yo, let's move to Miami. And two weeks later, we all moved. Nice. Love that. Yeah. So you guys moved to Miami before all of tech and all of the world decided it was cool to move to Miami. Early adopters. Early adopters. Early adopters. No, that's amazing. So then when you were at Uber, you come up with this idea. Walk me through that, you know, intermediary period while you're still at Uber. You've had this idea. You've been inspired. Like what's going on in your head and what does timeline look like between that till you actually say, okay, we're moving to Miami and doing this. So I'm at Uber for about six months, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a long corridor at this huge Uber office. I literally would walk down to the end, I'd lock the door, and I'd just call, make calls for CrossNet like half the day, and then go back to my sales job like inside the Uber head- headquarters. So about six months, I was like grinding on the job, like behind the scenes, like most people do when they have their secret startup. Mm-hmm. Wake up at seven o'clock, try to do emails to nine while you're on the train. Nine to five is Uber time slash whenever CrossNet fits in five to eight o'clock is cross net time. And eventually it was like, we started getting the, the proof of concept down. We had 50 units come into the States. We started selling them and uh, people started to like take interest a little bit. And at this point I was, I went to my boss and I said, Hey, I don't know if I'm making the right move, but I have this damn good idea. I'm going to move to Miami in two weeks. Mm-hmm. You'd either let me work remote. And this was before COVID. <laughs> this is before everything. I was like, you could let me work remote because this job's easy as hell and I can do it from my apartment uh, or I'm done. And he's, he was so cool. And uh, he's like, yeah, go, go work remote and lead the team. And I had a, a team of like 12 people reporting to me. Yeah. So I led the team for six months working remote in Miami. So on the beach playing cross net that day and then answering emails from my phone at Uber. I think that's so important. Like that stage when you know you can cross the bridge and make the gap because a lot of people just quit their job to yeah. go start on something. I remember from my previous business, I did the leap when 
I was like, I drove like for like 30 minutes to my house from my previous job. And I was like, holy shit, I just drove doing emails the entire way. I'm like, it's probably time for me to go off. And like, it was making, you know, five figures a month and profits and everything. And, and it was then I did the leap, but I'd see so many people do the leap before, before even finding proof of concept, before even revenue. And it's like, it's not even when you make revenue, it's like when you have a sustainable revenue yeah. and you can feel, you know, the business taking off and compounding to the point that like, okay, this is, you know, people are trying to rip it out of my hands type of situation. No, absolutely. And like in our situation, when we moved to Miami, it wasn't that far along. Mm -hmm. It was a hundred visitors a day to 150, not a hundred thousand, hundred fifty. Yeah. So at that point it was just like, I knew we we're onto something. Mm -hmm. I had a great product and I knew if I didn't do it, I was going to be regretful just like I was with the glass blunt company. So we went all in, I saved up three months of like living expenses. We had $4,000 to my name pretty much. And I knew that was going to last me for four months. Like that had to last yeah. me. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a big whiteboard, had Greg, Mike and Chris and had how much money we had. And every day we deduct it like McDonald's are seven bucks down. Mm -hmm. And when we got to zero, we'd have to go back to get a real job. So I'd do everything not to go back to zero. I'd be hustling on free up on Upwork. I'd be consulting people on Shopify and who the hell was I to consult somebody like I didn't even <laughs> I barely knew what Shopify was but I was consulting like that 60 year old mom who was trying to make a yeah it was called kitty cat pole I remember I remember she was making a, a stripper yoga studio with strip poles and she wanted to be an e-commerce store built that lander up that like really good so, so yeah that was just doing stuff like that just to stay alive right uh, and it took us 18 months to finally pay herself how many hours were you working in a day during that point Dude, well, uh, in a day, like well over 10 to 12. Yeah. And to think back, all the stupid shit you do when you're like starting a company and you look back and you like look at the Word documents and Excel, it's like, what are you even doing? Like, yeah. so pointless work, like grind work, but it all paid off. And eventually, what ended up happening was we'd go to the beach every day. Yep. So we'd set up the net, get there at nine, play to six o'clock, and 20 minutes in, we'd have everybody looking at us. Mm -hmm. Every single person at that beach was staring at us, take, taking photos. Exactly. It was like a billboard, yep. but it was just our product. And like, I kind of, we have a seller in front of us. And I always say, it's like, it's really hard to market a product that nobody gets to see unless mm -hmm. it's just like one-on-one. -on -one. When I set up a cross net, hundreds of people see it. So people would start playing. I would film ads on my phone. Mm -hmm. I'd go home and run Facebook ads at night. And, uh, Eventually what would happen, right? Like you'd go by, you'd be on vacation from Colorado, you'd go home and you'd set it up in Denver and all of a sudden we started getting sales from Denver and I'm like, mm -hmm. oh shit, you must be out there playing, right? Yeah. So it just started snowballing. We'd have 50 out and then 250 and then now there's 100,000 out there. So like when summer comes, it's just that perfect storm. And how does that go into account for your guys' marketing and unit economics? Like, do you guys actually bake that into an acquired customer, just assuming on the word of mouth spread and then lifetime value? Or is it more on a one-to-one -one basis and like, you just don't bank on that necessarily? Happening? Yeah, we, we definitely don't bank on it. We don't put that into our margin or anything like that. It's just, it's more work for me to make sure that our marketing team is portraying the message of why you should be out playing cross net. Why you shouldn't be looking at this email, you should be on the beach right now or in your backyard. Mm -hmm. So that's just a nice added value. Got it. I love that. So like that that's kind of like your guys' brand when you send an email and everything, it's like, what the hell are you doing? Get out there, enjoy exactly. life. Yeah, just happy go lucky, like kinda of like how we were, right? Like the best times are when you're not on your phone. That, that was kind of like when we were inventing CrossNet that day. 
we all looked at each other and we're like, yo, we just feel like kids again. Like we're all <laughs> going through shit, whether we're breaking up with our girlfriends or broke as hell or like don't really know where we're going with life. But nobody looked at their phone for three hours. Yeah. So nobody was miserable. Yeah. And that's, so that's kind of been going into the core messaging of CrossNet is just like, go out and play. Like we could go downstairs right now and go swim in that beautiful pool and that, that'll, be, that'll be the best part of the day. Like no questions asked. Yeah. So. I mean, it's when you don't notice time going by, right? When you look back and I mean, that that's when you do your best work as well. And so if it doesn't feel like work, you're definitely working on the right thing. Dude, it's six o'clock right now on a Friday, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's true. I didn't even realize right. it was a Friday. Like, right. It's a Friday. Yeah. You know, I'm like my normal job. Hell no, are you getting yeah. me there at six o'clock? But like, yeah. we're all here willingly because we all love what we do. And so one thing you mentioned is you would go and record the videos yourself. Yep. You know, obviously that's what we do at Trend, but that's, that's exactly why I want to touch on that. Like all of the content was produced from your phone, like from yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw that really early, like iPhone footage performed way better than my DSLR. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is like either I would go put it up online or we had this kid I used to grow up playing basketball with and he wanted to be a, uh, he wanted to get into Facebook ads. So he was in college. We gave him college credit. I signed off on it, and he skipped a class every every semester at college, and he just ran our Facebook ads. So I just dropped Ben all the the ads, and he'd go run them. Yeah, and it worked great. Now he has a huge agency. He's like, awesome. it's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. So the other question I have. So now we know what CrossNet is. It's obviously been established. You've grown from you know a couple you know fifty visitors to a hundred visitors, and now you have hundreds of thousands of these products out there, right? But I think one thing that's, you know, a lot of people who are starting out their e-commerce business from the beginning, right? They have an idea of like, oh, there's this new product that I'm inventing. Now I want to kind of put it into motion, right? So walk me back to the time that you're still at Uber. Now you've designed your first net. So you did your prototype, right? What is the next month, two months, three months look like in terms of, you know, are you building out more of these? Are you thinking about packaging? Are you thinking about marketing? Are you thinking about telling people about it? What's going through your head at that point in time? Yeah, so first step, you get the prototype. Mm-hmm. Check all the boxes of what's wrong, get it fixed. We're doing probably three or four renditions of the final product. Things we adjusted were like, we wanted the net a little bit more taut. We wanted it to be height adjustable. So the final product is men's, women's, children height. Sure. So really good. Uh, we wanted to be able to set up in sand and grass, so we had to make spikes that were like special for that. Mm-hmm. So different product iterations. Working on the retail packaging, uh, we had no graphic designer back then, so mm-hmm. it was me, and I took one graphic design class, so like wasn't looking too hot back then. Retail packaging, and then negotiating terms. Uh, you really don't have a leg to stand on when you're starting with manufacturer. So who do you go to at this point, right? At this point, we typed in AliExpress mm-hmm. volleyball nets. Mm-hmm. Found a few factories, sent over an NDA, sent over the blueprint. Mm-hmm. Our co-founder, Mike, was an engineer, so he was good at AutoCAD, so we saved the cost there. Mm-hmm. Lucky. Sent it over, said, yo, we have an idea. Immediately, sure, 500 grand. 500, who the hell do you think we are? 500 grand, like, no chance. Yeah. <laughs> found, found one lady that was like, all right, I could do 50 for you. And we're like, please, like, we promise one day we'll be the biggest company. Mm-hmm. And now we're the, we actually, <laughs> we outgrew her factory and we had to find a new supplier because we yeah. became so big. But uh, to your point, right? Negotiate 50 units, okay, cogs or whatever. All right, we'll wire her the check for 20 grand or whatever it was. To we literally had 20 grand for this whole company to start. And, and so how did you mitigate risk for that 20 grand? Like what if 
you know, what if the products weren't right? Dude, and, and we learned quickly, dude. So, like, one situation, right? Our product is 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's steel poles. Mm-hmm. They attach to form a volleyball net. <laughs> we had retail packaging. And on a freight ship, we learned quickly that we didn't double box. So, currently, the way the game comes now, it's a brown outer box that protects the retail box. So, when it's on Dick's, the, when it's in Dick's and Walmart, the box has got to look beautiful, right? Correct. Can't be nicked up. So, it has a brown outer box. I didn't think about that. So that first container came of 50 units, steel poles jagged through the whole damn box. All, all the boxes ripped open. We're duct taping boxes, like just all hard lessons we had to learn really quickly. So we'd go to the beach, take the shittiest boxes first, mm-hmm. go play with them, and I'd go sell it to you at 100 bucks instead of 150. Uh-huh. You'd walk away feeling like you got a deal. I got gas money for the day. Mm-hmm. And then our cogs, we'd go back into the bank account. And as soon as we start selling 50, we flip it, we buy 100, sell 100. Got it. So you would just start and walk me through those first couple sales, right? Are those, are these happening on the beach? Are they to like friends? All on the beach. beach. Eventually the ads started building up. But dude, like I remember our Facebook account, we were spending 25 bucks a night, bro. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, Yo, scale, let's go to $27. <laughs> I feel like everyone had Venmo at this time, right? No, yeah, like, it, was, it was cash. <laughs> it was cash or pay- PayPal transactions. But yeah, dude, it was literally 25 bucks. Okay, yo, 30 bucks. Let's go hard today. 30 bucks. Let's go to 40. And we did that for a year. In our first year in sales, we did $87,000. So like, nobody's making any money off of that. It's all going back to the business. 87 to 2.5 million the next year. To the next year. To the next year. Wow. And what do you think, like, where was the inflection point for you? A few different things. I think, like I talked about, the more nets that got into the world, mm-hmm. the more free billboards I got. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good example, right? There's a beautiful $25,000 billboard I won so bad in San Diego this year. Huge patch of grass right out front of it. I set up a cross net there and it lasted 30 days, longer than the billboard would have. And like everybody stopped and saw it. It was great. That's free. So being smart about our cash not wasting our money and taking advantage of the iPhones that we're shooting on now sure. rather than spending 20 grand on a photographer, like so stupid. So I think taking like our humble backgrounds and not wasting cash, let us like kind of go on a rocket ship really quickly. Uh, and then also we had our first viral video, which is great. Sent a net out to this dude in Washington. A degree ended up paying off then. Right? Yeah, it did. It really did. Yeah. Exactly. So like I still do a lot of Photoshop stuff on the side or help or have an eye for design. So it does help. But uh, I sent a, and people reach out all the time, yo, let me get free sample, free sample. Like, I'm sure you guys deal with that all the time. And it's like, bro, you know, this stuff costs money, right? Like, would I just light $60 on fire? Or would you give me $60 for free? Hell no, you're not giving me $60 for free. So why should I do that for you? Mm-hmm. Well, this one guy, I guess he was compelling enough. And he said, send me out a sample. I said, okay, I'll, I'll send it to you. You pay for the shipping. Mm-hmm. So he pays like $200 to ship it to Latvia. I don't know where Latvia is on the net, right? Uh, we just ship it. Nothing happens. Four months go by. Crickets. I'm moving on to the next thing, right? And uh, my phone just starts spazzing one morning. I wake up. I got like 5 million views on this video. 10,000 comments. A quadrillion shares. And it's these dudes in Latvia playing. No way. On the beach. And it ends up being the Latvian Olympic volleyball team. So they're on the beach, palm trees, spiking it, digging it, doing everything I can't do on a cross net. And that was our first like banger piece of content. We took that, ran paid on it, and we were getting like 
$30 CPAs on a $150 game. It was just sick. Wow. So that happens. When that happens, are you, do you guys have the inventory to support it? Were you ready for it? How were you thinking about it? We were, fortunately, at this time, I mean, we're still bootstrapped to this day, Mm -hmm. but, uh, was there a point where you couldn't fulfill because going from oh, 83 100%, 100% yeah. operations from going at 83k to 2.5 i mean not even on the supply side just like your team being able to handle like to support everything it would be tough dude we would be time our site would be sold out for a month but rather than shutting down the store big thought you are not getting your stuff for four weeks. Do not hit buy unless you know you're going to wait four weeks yeah. but if you don't buy now you're gonna have to wait eight weeks because we're going to be sold out again so people started buying, we built up a huge backlog. And when those containers came in, that was a hell day. Yeah. That was the worst day, but we'd have all the labels printed, 2,500 label, 2,500 get in the container, 2,500 labels, UPS day and right out the door. Um, but yeah, a lot of time sold out, a lot of learning lessons there, a lot of, t- a lot of mistakes with logistics and operations still to this day. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, the big challenges, like even to this day now, that you're dealing with with logistics and ops and that sort of forecasting, thing? bro? Like right now, the goal is to have the 2022 version of CrossNet. The goal is to turn inventory six times a year, mm-hmm. so we have inventory for about two months. Mm-hmm. However, you do want to have 15 percent, a little bit extra, just in case something happens. Sure. Uh, December 15th, we're on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Mm-hmm. No idea what's going to go on. I've never been on Ellen before, right? We have the view and let's make it, let's make a deal. The price is right. No idea. So you better be overstocked a little bit, mm-hmm. but you better not be too overstocked that you can't pay your bills. So, uh, or, that's, your team. or your team. Yeah. Exactly. So that's a fine balance there. And then, uh, right now, here's another good situation. Containers costs. Everyone mm-hmm. talks about the containers. I just found out our team paid $25,000 for a container. There's 350 units in that container. They're big bases. They're at the bases. My cogs on this went up $70 for this damn thing. Yeah. So it's just like stupid mistakes that we're making, but also we really have no choice. If we want the product here, you have to pay it. But if you're losing money on the product, better just shut Like just don't even sell that product. That's a loss leader at this point. Like chill out until the containers come back down. So those are all things we're dealing with right now. When did you start seeing that? Because that's obviously been a big thing in e-commerce, the costs of containers and shipping and everything like that. So when did you start noticing that and where do you see things going at the moment? I think it's been, yeah, it's definitely been around six months now that we've been dealing with it. Mm-hmm. I have seen lately that containers are coming down, mm-hmm. uh, but we do have a lot of boats on the water, boats landing now, now looking for their charges from six mm-hmm. months ago. So now I'm dealing with the billing, which sucks, but moving forward, we're seeing containers be hopefully a fraction of that 20k so if we could get down to that 15 12 to 15 range Mm -hmm. i'd be pretty content um i don't think we're anywhere getting close to that three grand range that we started in 2018 but uh yeah sure and i think one other thing is obviously crossnet's come a long way since you just started with the net and the ball and now you have a suite of products around the sport is that right exactly right so we have crossnet Crossnet H2O, which is the pool model. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a signature ball with Wilson. So like the Wilson we all grew up, yep. they make a Crossnet Wilson ball, which is just like such a like seal of legitimacy, right? <laughs> it's no longer like, I'm not flipping it from the record store like we used to. It's like Wilson Wilson. That's sick. Um, next year we're dropping a, uh, a USA Volleyball Crossnet. So we're an official partner of USA Volleyball, the official four-way game of USA Volleyball. So that's it's like the NBA. That's, that's the NBA. Right? That's yeah. the NBA co-signing you, you know. Yeah. So 
Uh, we'll do a, a red, white, and blue version next year for them. And then we have the indoor bases, the indoor set, and then the doubles version, which makes the game like twice as long. So you got the soccer too, though, right? And soccer. Yeah, yeah we just launched soccer on Kickstarter. Uh, soccer comes out in March. What about the countries? Countries, we got uh, so I have a... I have a warehouse in Kingsville, Ontario, Canada. We opened up that last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a warehouse in San Diego. Mm-hmm. GS opened up a 3PL in Australia, which took about a year of work. And then we're opening up a 3PL in Europe somewhere so we could fulfill some of those countries. But it's a lot of like legal work right now. You have to pay like VAT fees for all the countries. A lot of headache to even deal with Europe right now. I'd love to get to Europe tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Australia seems like it's going to be a rocket ship for us with their great weather and their beaches. And the nicest thing I'm pumped about is when it is freezing cold in Connecticut in October and November and January, February, March, go sell in Australia. Shut off all my ads in the East Coast. Throw them all to Australia. No, totally. That, that makes a ton of sense. And then I guess from the operational side, like you guys said, you have, you know, 3PL down there. How are you thinking about doing the business? Are you guys opening up a new Shopify store? Are you guys planning on running it like a, a completely different business that's under your umbrella? Or how are you thinking about that sort yes. of thing? We have three different Shopify stores, mm-hmm. one for Australia, one for Canada, one for US. I do recommend everybody watching and listening, go buy all your domains, even if they're not for five or 10 years down the road. Just had some guy in Europe literally put a ransom out for some some of the domains that I'd like to have in the future. And he's like, yo, you pay me 50 grand. I'm like, there's no way I'm paying you 50 grand for these URLs. Like, they're worthless in theory unless I use them. So I actually had DTCpod.com that I, I didn't, I hadn't bought it. And Blaine was like, yo, you better buy this right now. <laughs> and I just did like last week. So we're always thinking of snatching that too late. <laughs> yeah, dude. So that we've been thinking about that. Um, we do all of our logistics in-house, mm-hmm. so my supply team is about eight people mm-hmm. on the payroll. Um, the reason why we do logistics in-house is because our products are very, very big sure. and very heavy, uh, and pick and pack fees at 3PLs are historically terrible, mm-hmm. uh, like $10 per unit, which would not work for our COGS, but in Australia, they charge us two. I'm taking two bucks all day instead of a headache. Amazing. So if anybody who's listening can offer me two bucks in the States, please let me know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So that makes the concept of being able to use a 3PL down in Australia, that makes it way more appealing. Whereas here, you're like, okay, we have to build that out in-house there. If it's at two bucks, that totally makes sense all day. No brainer, right? Exactly. Absolutely. So yeah, two bucks a unit in Australia, they ship directly. And I don't have to have employees. I don't have to work with people who are 12 hours behind. Like they're sleeping right now. I don't even know what time it is there. So. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trend's exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more, all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's T-R-E-N-D dot I-O slash podcast and look for the Slack community link to claim your invite. We hope to see you on there. So I think this is a really cool concept that probably a lot of people in the e-commerce space would love to explore because there's tons of brands that have made, you know, obviously we've talked about the early, early days, right? Like starting a brand when from absolutely nothing. And now 
we're moving along a little bit further in the journey. You've been successful. And I'm sure there's also a ton of e-commerce brands out there that are at the stage where they're probably selling really well in one market. Maybe they're, they've also made the move to another and they're thinking about, you know, stepping into a different country, right? So what has your process for the Australia market been like? I, you know, you found a 3PL down there, but walk me through a little bit now that you have your business up and running. Walk me through everything that it was like in terms of one, making the decision in your head, okay, we're going to open up Australia, which you did. You're like, okay, seasonality makes sense. They, they're going to love the product down there. It's going to make sense. But now on the operations and the logistics side, what do you physically need to do? What are your steps? Who do you need down there? And how do you launch that? Good question, bro. Do you not have all the answers for you? Because <laughs> I'm the CMO and remove myself from ops, which is beautiful. But uh, essentially what we had to do was get her. You cannot get a Australian website without having an Australian registered business which is crazy to me. So it took us about eight months to get a registered Australian business. Like I can't just go like, yeah. you know, we can make a domain in 30 seconds here. Sure. You have to have a registered Australian business, which took forever. So eight months of planning. Mm -hmm. uh, we vetted a ton of 3PO's. We found the one that we liked, uh, CP3, mm -hmm. great company. Essentially from there was just lining up shipments, mm -hmm. trucking them directly from China, to the 3PL in Australia, them unloading, making sure our SKUs are right, making sure our ASINs are right, product photography, making sure the Shopify is duplicated but also speaks the language, yep. which is important. And then from there, it's finding the relevant content that sticks, fortunately for us, like more times than not, like a beach resonates with the majority of people. Eventually we'll get localized content, but I already have so much content that like, I don't really need to, to go waste money on that right now. Totally. And then uh, for Black Friday specifically, we found one or two like big YouTubers. So that's a big part of our content strategy mm -hmm. is moving off of Insta, mm -hmm. going to TikTok and YouTube where we're deficit at right now. Sure. Uh, so we found two big Australian YouTubers that launch in two weeks, which will be great. Setting up the Facebook panel. And then we launched, dude. And within the last, we've been live for 20 days now. And we're already doing well over five grand a day in revenue. Which wow. is which is great for 20 yeah. days. Like You just started. And it's profitable. Off the job, it's profitable. That's huge. So, I mean, that's the most important <laughs> yeah. part. What? So again, I mean, I know a lot of people listening here are like, well, you know, I, I'm curious myself and I'm sure other listeners are. It's like, if you had to break down from the very beginning to where you are now in three different stages, like what were the tools that you couldn't have survived without? for your business, like beginner, middle and current stage, like for like, whether it's CX and like marketing or website or whatever, mm -hmm. if there's, you know, three tools at each stage or something that, that you definitely had to have, what were those? Privy. Privy was dope. Yeah. Super affordable, really good. Biggest mistake I made in e-com was not getting Privy on sooner, capture. And not building up those welcome and those like mm -hmm. those flows, dude. Like when I turned on email marketing and like hired that agency that I still work with, structure, twenty percent of revenue so damn quick, and it was like so much money I missed out on. Mm -hmm. It's just like such a big regret. So, Privy was great. We now work with Clavio, mm -hmm. so we graduated to Clavio, which mm -hmm. is great. Uh, we use Postscript, which I love. Mm -hmm. Spent way too much damn money on Yappo. Yeah. <laughs> so we work with Okendo now, which I love. Very good. They'll email me back in 30 seconds, even if it's four in the morning. So I like that. Yeah, those are the big three. And now we, now we use Gorgeous, uh, which is great. Mm -hmm. I wish we had them sooner. But yeah, dude, I think just staying frugal is like the most important thing. So many people like just either see their business start profiting, they start buying stupid shit or bat, buying apps or 
spending hard. 90 grand on a website when yeah. the website doesn't even make them 90 grand. So like just staying frugal and like less is more. Just having that mentality. And we've made a lot of mistakes along the way. You start seeing cash come into the bank account. Right. Oh, let me go buy this billboard over a highway for 20 grand. Or yeah. hire this person that's like, Dude. you know. So many mistakes this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's the big thing. It's just no, and it's until you make a mistake yourself, it's always easy to say, oh, you're going to avoid it. But when you feel the pain of like making that mistake yourself, you know, you're not going to make it. You know, you're not going to let anyone else at your company make it. Right. So um, I think having gone through that and having that growth mindset of, okay, let's learn. Let's like take it on the chin and keep going. And how can we be better next time? But also, like you were saying, having that mindset of frugality and like knowing what things cost and what things should cost and maintaining like strong business principles like does this make sense or are we doing this for the right reasons like that's so important because you see so many businesses today that are all about growth 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 at all costs and then you know sure they can grow really fast but at the end of the day when the dust settles it's like is there a business there sometimes yes sometimes no right no absolutely i'm doing this all for profit at the end of the day when I retire my mom as quick as possible, get myself a house and get married. Like it was the only thing to happen. And in order for that to happen, you need cash. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're doing this all for a profit. So, uh, but yeah, it, learning lessons for sure this year, like a good example is even taking on the right retail partners. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think that was a concept in 2018. Like, dude, if you, you're in retail, you want to sell my product? Of course, let's sign you mm-hmm. up. But now you start like talking about discount shops and places that are bargain shoppers that sure. want to spend $10 and you got $150 cross net there, yeah. it's not going to sell well. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of gone through some lessons. I won't name drop stores, but sure. there's been stores and partners we've taken on that have been a mistake. And those were great lessons this year. I think you have this ability of like pattern recognition though to like, you know, I could see it from like, you know, like taking that risk to get off that job at Uber at that age. Like it's not a thing most people can do. But when you saw the opportunity for CrossNet, because you had already done all these other things, when you saw the opportunity for CrossNet, it ticked all the boxes for what it would mean for you to be happy. Absolutely. And so it seems like you keep that pattern in the decisions and like you can quickly identify those patterns and continue those principles for making decisions. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that I think would, you know, the audience would love to hear about. It's like, you see so many brands now they're starting, they're growing and they're e-commerce brands. Right. And that's an own channel. And people love those businesses because they're selling directly to their consumer. But at a certain point, as you scale up, you do find, and you do look for retail partners. So you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what it was like the first time you made your decision to like, okay, now let's think about, you know, selling with retail partners. What does that look like for you? How does it happen? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing was in 2019, Mm -hmm. we were looking for validation. Mm -hmm. Cool, we invented a sport. Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody else who's ever invented a sport. So it's one thing to to say, all right, cool, we have a a cool sport we made up. But it's still like, yeah, it's just a sport that you made up in your head. It's not a real sport yet, right? Like, So how do we validate it? How do we make it real? So we did stuff like that with USA Volleyball with Wilson, and we'll go on doing cooler brand partnerships. Uh, and for me, being 24 at the time, what better way to legitimize your sport and product than to put yourself into retail? Sure. Knowing nothing about retail, mm-hmm. but knowing from my corporate days that like contently we're selling the SaaS software. I was literally 22 years old, had my nice little tie on, going into the CMO at like AIG, some 65-year-old lady like behemoth, you know, like Fortune 500, Fortune 50 companies. 
and they're talking to me in person. Yeah. I'm like, I'm selling like what? That doesn't even add up, right? <laughs> so uh, the way I got good at that was through LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and that was the only way. And it was crafting good messages, not the shit that you get every day on totally. LinkedIn that you know unsubscribe right. in a second. Totally. So I got really good at doing that. And so right when I started my journey, naive, I guess enough, I added all the buyers, mm-hmm. all the marketers, all the people that worked at every single company I'd ever want to get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, I didn't like pitch Walmart off the jump. We got destroyed. But mm-hmm. like eventually, this guy at Shields, Steve Dozman, if you're listening, thank you for all the love. <laughs> uh, he eventually like we, we connected on LinkedIn. I sent him a message and I begged him. I begged mm-hmm. him for like two stores. It's like, yeah, we'll take 16 units, which then was like, I don't know, three grand, which was everything back then, right? Don't hear back from him for like six months. Oh, man. I'm like, oh, shit, like, what's going on? Doesn't doesn't answer my emails, nothing's going on. All of a sudden, Steve hits me back up. Yo, I don't know what happened, but all the CrossNet sold out last night. They hadn't sold in over six months, but something happened. No way. The viral video. Wow. The viral video happened. Hey, I'd like to get some more. Can I get some more? Hell yeah, you can get some more. And then right there, he's like, all right, how about like for 20 stores? I was like, yo, what if I dropped the price by five bucks? Mm-hmm. We went nationwide. Wow. Deal. Went nationwide. Wow. Two weeks later, I take that account and I say, hey, Dick Sporting Goods, mm-hmm. we're in 35 Shields. Mm-hmm. Let's get to Dick's. Dick's doesn't write me back. Dick's doesn't write me back. Eventually, they come through on Gorgeous. Actually, we were using Talk at this time. This was yeah. before Gorgeous. Uh, and hey, this is the buyer from Dick Sporting Goods. I got a purchase order. Just right back. And it's on the chat box. In the chat In the box. chat yeah, box. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no shit. Like, is this real? And he's like, yeah, yeah, just send me your email. I got a PO for you. Sends the PO 5,000 units. Wow. Half a million dollar order. Right there. And that was CrossNet growing up. So within... 24 hours mm-hmm. we're now in 850 stores give or take wow That's it's crazy so then i take that this is like the hyper growth that we got totally. two five two point five mil i take that and I, I get a meeting in texas for academy sports mm-hmm. 287 locations give or take have my nice little powerpoint yep. all dressed up my first in-person meet my only in-person meeting i've ever had for crossnet <laughs> um, fly to texas like a 90 dollar uber to this damn place <laughs> Have a nice twenty-minute meeting. I'm on the last slide. I say, "Hey, can I want to roll out to twenty-five locations? Just give us a test." Yeah. Right before I hit that slide, she says, "We're good to go. Nationwide. We'll start in a week." I'm like, all right, we start, baby. No next slide. <laughs> no next slide. Close the laptop real quick. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So yeah, within within three months, we hit Dick's Academy and Shields, thousand stores, POs flowing, peak of summer. And we've held on to those relationships ever since. How did you, so scaling that fast, you know, like that you were moving really quickly. So how were you able to fulfill everything that was coming in? Fortunately for us, we had a lot of cash in the bank at that point Mm -hmm. because we were selling direct to consumer for a while. Shields pays on net 30 payment terms. Mm -hmm. So obviously that story's all combined, but there's some lag period. So it's very important to pick a good retailer who pays quickly. Mm -hmm. Had I started with Dick's rather than Shields, I would have been waiting an extra 60 days for my payments. Mm. So Shields paid me up real quick, had a nice little bag, bought the inventory, then I could fulfill the Dick's and the Academy orders who have longer payment terms. And the best thing for us was that we started negotiating with our factory. Hey, 
we have all these orders coming in. We need more inventory because I was so sick of being back ordered. Mm -hmm. Our site would be like shut down for a month. Our conversion mm -hmm. would tank and we'd still be running ads because I needed money on my plate to eat, right. you know? So like... Also, you have a brand. Like you can't let the brand go stale. That's exactly. a thing, exactly. you know? Those people won't come back yeah, again. Exactly. And back then it was like, yo, like can you just start production on this shit? Like I need it. Like I'm gonna need it. So started getting to like 50% down, 50% upon releasing the goods. And now we're all the way down to like 0% down pay upon arrival. So like we've built that negotiation up, which helps with payment terms big time. Totally. If they're manufacturing, shipping, and I don't have to pay until it's at the port, like. That saves you. That's 90 days of cash. Totally. So. That's amazing that you were able to, one, have the right partners, but two, at the right time, yeah. right? It was, it was, it was, it was like, not strategic. It was right. not. It, was, it just happened. Yeah. yeah. So now that you have a nice mix of both, right? You're in retail location. You're doing the D2C thing as well. How do you think about the business? Like, what's the mix like? And how do you, like, what are your plans uh, for the future for that? It's tough, bro. So right now we're on crossnightgame.com, mm -hmm. on Amazon, mm -hmm. and we're in about 3,500 stores mm -hmm. here in North America. And this has been my biggest, like, stressor as a marketer this year is learning, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't know, like, we're, I don't know how old you guys are. I'm 28. I don't know anybody with 3,500 retail locations to learn from. Yeah. And anybody else that does is like Procter & Gamble, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, learning how to attribute my marketing spend and how to blend the money is mm -hmm. really tough. Mm -hmm. This year, I was trying to learn, like, how do I get somebody to go into the Miami Midtown Dick's location and take a unit off that shelf? Mm -hmm. So, a lot of learning there, but... We spend 100% of our money up front to crossnetgame.com. Mm -hmm. We have the halo effect where we see attribution for every one sale we make on our website. We'll make two to three on Amazon mm -hmm. and then another two to three at retail. Sure. So as of late, the conversation has been like Black Friday coming up. Yep. Do we run Shopify at a loss knowing that we have this? Right. That's line? what I was asking earlier. And I'm, I think that's why you guys are crushing it so well because you're not, you're not operating that way because you could be burning a bunch up front. Dude, burning a ton. So like... Lately, the decision internally has been like, try to get to a one-to-one row as like on our website, knowing we're still going to have that good halo effect. Because if you're burning too much cash on Shopify every day, those big checks aren't coming for months at a time. Like you're going to run out of loss. So it's been a very tough challenge, uh, which makes me really excited about Australia because I got no retail. I got no Amazon. It's just back. Exactly. Like, it's fun. It's like 2018 all over again, but I know everything I didn't know. And I have an army of content. Exactly. So it's almost like you're able to take everything that you've learned on the way up. You're starting in a new market. You know you have a product that's going to work and you don't, you don't have to worry about anything. Dude, exactly. And over the last four years since we've done CrossFit, so many brands have pulled back from retail. Mm -hmm. Nike, for example, obviously no fraction of Nike. Sure. But uh, everyone's like, oh, like, you don't need retail anymore. So it's cool to have this one business that's so... 60% retail here in America, mm -hmm. and in this other business over the pond that's literally 0% retail. Sure. And now I have Australia being my cash cow to pay my employees, and now this one just being the retail one that's kind of an army. Well, and I think what's so cool, and every business is a little bit different, but what's really cool about CrossNet is the product itself is almost like an infrastructure, right? Like the product of having the nets, it's like now you've established that there's a sport, right? You get people on the rails, you get them into 
your environment of being able to play CrossNet. And then there's so many different products that are going to be able to be associated with it, whether it's the balls, the towels, the, you know, you name it, you go through your whole product line. So I think that's what's really cool about a product like that is you can use retail as your place where you can seed the product and people can get it, get into it. And then all of a sudden you maintain that relationship with them direct to consumer. Yeah. Maybe you're not listing every single product you sell in those retail locations, but you're going to be able to build that brand and, and sell to them directly. Absolutely. And it's also really important to have products D2C exclusive mm-hmm. to keep customers coming back to the site. Exactly. Because if everything is one-to-one and retail is your site, why would they ever buy on your site? Totally. So it's going to be fun to build that exclusives next year that are just available on our website. Do you see, you know what I see? I visualize the CrossNet tournament. Dude, so we had, uh, <laughs> last May, we had a tournament on ESPN. Oh, dude. Yeah, so we had a 30-minute tournament on ESPN for $10,000. That's huge. The, that's the, a kid, they were like, that's a kid that used to work here. You used to work for ESPN, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, So uh, we had uh, a 30-minute televised tournament uh, that went on ESPN, too. Mm-hmm. And we had the best volleyball players come. It was a co-ed tournament. They all showed up. We rented this big park in San Diego uh, where the Olympics train, sure. actually. And uh, yeah, $10,000 cash prize. We had all the best volleyball refs in the country come out, fly out to it. They refed it. It was intense as hell. Yeah, it was so sick. Yeah, seeing it on ESPN was crazy. So what are the plans? Uh, what's next, right? Like how, how for you personally too, right? So you're in Miami. You're growing the business from here. Um, you know, w- what's next for you and the company? Yeah, so I'll be in Miami for a bit. I'm getting married next year, which I'm excited about. Congrats. My girl is opening up a Pilates studio in Miami. Amazing. So I'm excited for that. On the business side, we'll have the USA Volleyball Net come out. Mm-hmm. We roll out to, don't quote me, but a couple hundred Sam's Clubs next year. So very excited for that. That'll be a massive deal. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just cleaning up ops. Like ops was a nightmare this year. Overbought inventory, didn't have enough inventory. Tried to make things work with the COVID situation. So it'll be cool to see the world kind of come back to normal, hopefully, and see how things kind of progress next year. And then growing out in Australia, like that's my passion project right now. Mm-hmm. I think that could be a really good cash cow for us. And growing the sport, we didn't talk much about actually the sport sure. during this pod, but like that's my whole ambition for the company. I want my kids, mm-hmm. kids to play CrossNet. Yeah. And right now, if I set up a CrossNet outside, there may be a few people that know what it is, but the majority of people are going to be like, yo, what is that? How do I play? Maybe they'll buy, maybe they'll be interested. But like my work is not done until cross answer in every park and every beach. And you don't look at it like, yo, what is that? Like you just look at it like a basketball hoop totally. and, you, and you move on. I'd love to talk about that, right? Because like you were saying, it's like, you don't know anyone who's created a sport. You're creating a sport. And it's actually funny when you go back and you you think to it, like imagine you're back in elementary school, right? Like you show up on the blacktop and there's a bunch of lines painted. There's a volleyball net up. There's a basketball hoop. But like once upon a time, it was just someone who was like, oh, I have an idea. Let's make this sport. And then every kid in the USA grows up with those same lines painted on their blacktop, right? So how do you... And not just like the infrastructure of the, you know, the lines being painted on the blacktop, but also like then you have leagues being created and you have, you know, kids aspiring to be like their favorite basketball player, you know, whatever it is. So what and obviously this isn't something that happens overnight, like leagues and sports and creating sports. So what is the next, I guess, talk to me about the next five, 10, 20 years out. How do you make that happen and how are you thinking about that? That was a hard lesson this year because, like, 
you can make money really quickly, as we all know. <laughs> you can't invent a sport really quickly. It's just hard. Like no matter how much capital you have, yeah. you can't make people want to go out and do something with their time because you only have so much time in the day. Sure. So like, as much as we wanted to push the sport this year, we had to take a step back and be like, that's actually losing us money. Mm-hmm. Worry more about getting the product in people's hands. It's going to sell itself and going to let people go outside and be the advocate for us. Mm-hmm. But we're making great progress, right? We have an official rule booklet. It's like 20 pages of rules, like so complex for the ESPN tournament. Yeah. You got ten thousand. Yeah. You got $10,000 on the line. People yeah. care, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we got a rule booklet. Uh, we have a curriculum for schools, uh, which is great. We're in 10,000 schools, which 10, is 10,000 schools. Wow. Which is amazing yeah. and a great source of revenue for us. Kids right now are going to gym class and they're playing crossnet. That's, that's awesome. amazing. And that's then, it right there. That ties back to the story, right? Like you're in third grade, you go play crossnet in the blacktop, you then try out for your volleyball team because it got you into volleyball. Sure. Or eventually you play on your crossnet team. Exactly. Right? So, and then furthering on that, we are in over 150 intramural programs mm-hmm. at UNC Chapel Hill. Sure. Crossnet's an intramural sport. That's amazing. Amazing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 150 intramural programs right now, like IM leagues, like they use it. Uh, it's really cool. So we have intramural, we have it at the the rec level, and then getting into the YMCA's and the parks up in Canada. There's like a, a chain of like 20 beaches. We're permanently in those beaches. So, and then moving into hospitality with B2B, mm-hmm. we should be at every Ritz Carlton, every Marriott. There should be a cross net down by the water in the park. Mm-hmm. So, is the sport a separate organization, or is it? Crossnet itself. The sport is Crossnet. Yeah. Will a separate organization lead it eventually? Yeah. We've talked about that. Just haven't got there yet and haven't yeah. made that decision. Uh, we had like a we have a head of events right now to put on events and tournaments. We have a guy who works on the curriculum and, and growing the sport. So yeah. what's your guys' team size right now? Total. Twenty two full time employees. Oh wow. you guys are doing a lot for that process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's That's a lot. Huge. Dude. Yeah. It's tough, dude, because we want to do so much, especially with Australia and Europe, but like you can only do so much in a day. You can only grow your business so quick without getting burnt out. Totally. I'd rather take that side than like not knowing what to do, like yeah. not having enough ideas. Oh, so. we feel so bad for my graphic designer. Right now. <laughs> He's just like working on so much stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's just a new project every day. So yeah. I'm excited. Well, dude, I'm really excited for you guys. I'm sure Blaine is as well. You know, thank you for coming here, spilling the beans and, and sharing your story with us. Maybe on the next one, we'll have your co-founders too and, and yeah. share more about the sport, but. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll set up a cross net, yeah. cross net right outside. Yeah, yeah. But thanks for being here, man. This was awesome. I'm sure our audience is gonna love it. So that makes a wrap for this episode, unless you have any final. No, ideas. that's it. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate it. And I can't wait to get out there and play. Yeah, awesome. So for all the listeners, please make sure to subscribe um, and leave a rating below for DTC pod. Um, That is a wrap. Thank you, man. Love it.